Let me encourage you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4 verses 10 through 20 will be our primary passage for our time in the Word together this morning. Some of you know this perhaps because of conversations that that we've had recently, and some of you don't, but I've had the privilege this fall to coach the soccer team of two of our children. Joanna and Will are in the same age group on the same soccer team, and so it's been, been fun to coach their team. I don't claim to be a world-class soccer coach, so I'm thankful for technology like the Mojo app that will put the practice sessions together for you. Yeah, I enjoy that. But as, as I've watched the team and kind of helped them along, one of the things that repeatedly is it's an ongoing difficulty and it's not just for for their team it's really for any young soccer team and it is the idea of teamwork it's not that they don't like playing together they love playing together but part of learning to play soccer well is learning how to play as a team and learning how to rely upon teammates and trust teammates to not underplay or overplay, and to be in a position that both trusts your teammates and is a help to your teammates if they need to make a pass or something like that. As we come to Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, again this morning, we were in this passage last week, and we're back, at, back in it again this morning, teamwork or cooperation really is at the heart of what Paul is addressing here. And as we consider what he wrote in response to the cooperation that he experienced from the church at Philippi, I think there is an opportunity here for us to consider, reflect on our own cooperation as a congregation. Follow along as I read Philippians 4, 10 through 20. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, 
but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God be and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as I was reflecting, studying Philippians, reflecting on studying Philippians 4, 10 through 13, I went through a number of variations on just the, the title itself of this sermon. And you have there in your bulletin one of the titles that I was working with, Benefits of Cooperation. But after the bulletin was printed, I got to thinking, you know, that really doesn't communicate what I'm going after here. Because you could hear that title and think, well, what we're going to be thinking about is just how it's beneficial, why it's beneficial to be a cooperative person generally. What we might teach to kindergartners and first graders, even preschoolers, about cooperating with one another over the toys or whatever it is. But it's not just that general idea of cooperating that I have in mind and really draws our attention out of this passage. And so the next title was Benefits of Gospel Cooperation, because that gets more at what I have in mind, cooperating around the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming the gospel ministering with a pointer to speaking of our hope in Christ, just like we talked about and prayed about concerning disaster relief. But then, as I continued studying and thinking, benefits of gospel cooperation really became the third point in the sermon. So that doesn't work for the entire, entire sermon. So the new title, in case you were wondering, in case you're keeping notes, is Gospel Cooperation. That's it. Gospel Cooperation. Okay? Now, in order to understand, biblically and from this passage, the idea of Gospel Cooperation, there are three, three things that we want to observe. One is patterns of cooperation. Patterns of cooperation. Secondly, a brief history of cooperation. A brief history of cooperation. And then lastly, benefits of gospel cooperation. Benefits of gospel cooperation. Now, one other preface. One of the benefits, you've heard this before, but one of the benefits of working consecutively through a book of the Bible, as we have been doing in Philippians and as we've been used to for, for many years under Pastor Steve's preaching, is that from time to time you come to topics that if the pastor was just picking topics on his own, he wouldn't pick and that's kind of the case with our sermon this morning. I'm not sure that I would have picked a, the topic of cooperation as just a topic for us to consider. Moreover, this 
topic as it comes provides us an opportunity not only to consider biblically the idea of churches working together, but it also provides us a brief moment to consider as a congregation our own cooperation, our own partnerships in a way that I hope will be helpful for all of us and in a way that will be new for some. So we're going to have a bit of, a bit of not a bit, okay? We're going to have more than a bit of Bible. We're going to have a bit of history. We're going to have a bit of reflection on the benefits of being a gospel-cooperating church. And in this way, our reflections are a little different this morning, because oftentimes our focus out of a passage is in some way or another, or in multiple ways, drawing and attending to personal benefits out of a particular passage. How does this apply to me? What are the implications for my life and my walking with Christ? This morning, our concerns are not so individually focused, but we're thinking more about who we are as a church together and our work of cooperating together, yes, but also with others, with other churches to proclaim the name of Christ here and abroad. So, gospel cooperation. First, I want us to think about patterns of cooperation. Patterns of cooperation. And what I have in mind here is the fact that if you step back and you think about what Scripture has to say about the idea of people working together, churches working together, the Bible is filled with pictures of cooperation. The Bible is not focused primarily on our individual Christian walks. That is an important focus. But the Bible sets our Christian walk in the context of walking with a Redeemer who has purchased a people for us to be with. And friends, this goes all the way back to before the beginning of time. The pattern of cooperation goes all the way back to before the beginning of time in the existence of our triune God. Now, we have to be careful here because there is much that we don't know about our triune God's eternal existence. And so we want to tread lightly in terms of the conclusions that we draw, but at a minimum, what we can observe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have worked together, and have worked together in specific ways. And I want to highlight two briefly. One, they worked together in the work of creation itself. You know Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But as in particular... The New Testament reflects on the creative work of our triune God. It is not just the Father that is 
working in the work of creation. Because what do we read in John 1.3? As John writes that glorious introduction to his gospel, reflecting on the preeminence of the Lord Jesus Christ, he writes, all things were made through Jesus, and without Him, that is Jesus, was not anything made that was made. All things were made through the Son. And then we also read in Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, in ways that we cannot fully comprehend, but that we can affirm, all three were cooperatively working in the work of creation. But moreover, not only in the work of creation does our triune God work together, but also in the work of saving sinners from sin. What do we read in John 3.16? For God, that is the Father, so loved the world that He sent His only Son that whoever believes in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. The Father sends the Son, and so the Son comes to give Himself to purchase our redemption, our forgiveness from sin. Jesus reflects on His own self-sacrifice in this way in John 10. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Down in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. The Father sends the Son. The Son lays down His life to redeem us from sin. And then what does the Spirit do? The Spirit comes and does the miraculous work of regenerating the dead heart, applying the work that the Son has accomplished in His death. The Father sends the Son, the Son purchases our forgiveness, and the Spirit applies to the hearts of believers the finished work of Christ. The triune God cooperatively works in securing and applying our redemption from sin. This is at the heart of cooperation, partnership in the Christian life. We are the image bearers of a triune, cooperating God. And we see this show up in various dimensions in the Christian life. Just quickly, marriage, as God designed it and as God intends it, is to be a cooperation between one man and one woman for a lifetime. This goes all the way back to Genesis 2, where God sees the man and says it's not good for him to be alone. And so what does he provide? He provides one like the man, but different to be a complement to him, to be his helpmate. And we see in places like Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, Paul and Peter 
inspired by the Holy Spirit, reflecting on this cooperative effort and life of a husband and wife as they live reflecting the glorious relationship that Christ has with His church. So that each are discharged with different responsibilities. So that in Ephesians 5.33, the Apostle Paul can tell husbands to love their wives as they love themselves. And he calls wives to give respect to their husbands. A reflection of the cooperative, complementary roles that God has given to the husband and the wife. But we see this idea of cooperation not just in the partnership of our triune God in creation and securing our redemption in marriage, but we see it in the church, don't we? Early on in the life of the church, there was needed a cooperative effort to see that the diverse needs of the congregation were attended to. And so you have borne out of the experience of the early church in the book of Acts, the two offices of leadership in the church, pastors and deacons. Remember offices that we actually heard about all the way back in Philippians 1 as Paul writes to the congregation and to the elders and the deacons of the church at Philippi. These were to serve cooperative efforts, attending to different needs as they serve the church together. But also, there's cooperation within the church, isn't there? Remember that image from 1 Corinthians 12 of the body of Christ? The body working together gifted differently, different parts of the body serving in different ways, but all working and striving together towards the same end. But not only in the Scriptures do we see these kinds of cooperation outside or or in, in marital life inside the congregation, but we also see pictures of cooperation between churches. This came up in our Scripture reading earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it also shows up in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul is writing about a cooperative effort that he has initiated to encourage various churches to contribute to needs for the church in Jerusalem that was suffering under a famine. So we see throughout the Scriptures... A variety of ways that cooperation, working together, is an important part of being the people of God and being living as followers of Christ. And this priority, this focus, if you will, on cooperation as it shows up in a variety of ways has been something that Baptists, we are confessionally a Baptist church, and it is something that our Baptist forebearers have treasured really from the beginning of Baptist life. Without going into all of the details, if you want to talk about them later, we can talk about them this afternoon, we can set up a time and grab coffee and talk more about this. But the priority of cooperation, the way in which Baptist churches go about it, really is a distinctive in the way in which 
we understand church life and the way in which we understand churches to be autonomous, individual bodies of Christ. We don't have a superstructure over us that we are reporting to that sits as a head, either individually or as a group over us, telling us this is how we should work together. But instead, as Baptists throughout history have read the Bible and sought to think about how do we live and work as people of the book, striving to follow the directions of Scripture about how we should go about our congregational life together, one of the things that has come up is this commitment to cooperating, associating together, even though the churches are independent, are autonomous. One Baptist historian puts it this way, from the beginning And here he's looking at throughout the 1600s. Baptists were not independents. They always sought for fellowship between the different churches. And they were very successful in arranging for permanent organization. Their purpose was framed by a desire to have fellowship between local churches and to carry on evangelistic work. Did you hear that? The motivation for Baptist churches historically working together has been for the sake of fellowship between the congregations, but also for the sake of advancing evangelistic work. And this goes to the heart of the association, the convention, the cooperation of churches that we are a part of, the Southern Baptist Convention. The Southern Baptist Convention began in 1845, and we have to acknowledge, we have to admit that the Southern Baptist Convention was born out over the tensions in our nation at that time over the issue of slavery. We cannot deny that. And if you take from our name, where we originated, you can understand which side of that question Southern Baptist churches were initially on. Again, we can talk more about that later. There's been much said and much written even in the past 20 years about this issue. But out of that issue, there was a desire for the Southern churches to continue to engage in evangelistic work in the way in which they thought they needed to engage in cooperative missions work at home and abroad. And so, the Southern Baptist Convention was born in 1845 with the following desire to establish a plan for eliciting, combining, and directing the energies of the whole denomination in one sacred effort for the propagation of the gospel. Whatever the cultural circumstances were, the motivation for the churches in banding together in a new association was for the propagation of the gospel, for the combining of the church's efforts so that the gospel work may continue, so that the name of Christ might be made known. 
And this shows up even now in our statement of faith. Here's what our statement of faith says about cooperation, Article 14. Christ's people should, as occasion requires, organize such associations and conventions as may best secure cooperation for the great objects of the kingdom of God. Do you hear in that? It's, the, the language may be a little hard to follow, and you can Google Article 14, Baptist Faith and Message, if you want to read it in detail further later. But do you hear in the language that the goal of the cooperation is for the advancement of the kingdom? Such organizations have no authority. There's our Baptist distinctive. They are voluntary and advisory bodies designed to elicit, combine, and direct the energies of our people in the most effective manner. Members of New Testament churches should cooperate with one another in carrying forward the missionary, educational, and benevolent ministries for the extension of Christ's kingdom. Christian unity in the New Testament sense is spiritual harmony and voluntary cooperation for common ends by various groups of Christ's people. Cooperation is desirable between the various Christian denominations when the end to be attained is itself justified and when such cooperation involves no violation of conscience or compromise of loyalty to Christ and His Word as revealed in the New Testament. That is, our cooperation should help us, should not hinder us, and should not cause us a crisis of conscience in our obedience to Christ and in our desire to advance the name and the work of Christ around the world. One of our Baptist distinctives is a desire to cooperate with fellow churches, with like-minded churches to the end of gospel advance. And that's what we do as we partner with voluntarily. We are a Southern Baptist church. We choose to associate with the Southern Baptist Convention. And each week when you give your offerings, a portion of that goes to the cooperative program. There's that name organized or established in 1925, the means by which Southern Baptist churches pool their resources to fund international missions, local missions, theological education. I am a product, a two-time product of one of your Southern Baptist seminaries, and so I thank you for the fact that you underwrote my education to provide the theological training to help me in my pastoral ministry, and not just me but every other Southern Baptist seminary graduate, when you give, you are supporting their education. And this is how we cooperate together. We are a part of the State Convention of Baptists in Ohio, a relatively young convention of Baptists, established in 1954. 
for organizing, cooperating Southern Baptist work of churches here in Ohio. Since the founding of Reynoldsburg Baptist Church on September 7, 1958, we have voluntarily associated with what was then the Capital Baptist Association, now Metro Columbus Baptist Association, State Convention of Baptists in Ohio, the Southern Baptist Convention. Why do we do this? We do it, I would say, in no small part for the sake of cooperating with other churches for the advance of the gospel here and around the world because we can do more together than we can separately. And that's not to say that everything about Southern Baptist cooperation in life is pristine, crystal clear, right? Everybody has, every, every family has their issues. It's true with us as well. But we cooperate together for the sake of the gospel. We cooperate together because it's the pattern given to us in Scripture. And I spend this time reflecting on who we are as a cooperating church because we see the Philippians modeling for us cooperation in how they supported the Apostle Paul. Which brings us back to Philippians 4, the benefits of cooperation. Actually, let me go back before I enter into that and make two quick observations. We've prayed this morning about one of the fruits of our cooperation, and that is the disaster relief work. That could only be realized as we partner together. No one church could do this on its own. But also, friends, this idea of cooperation and being in partnership with others, this is at the heart of why we have a ministry prayer in each service as a reminder that we are in partnership with others and we want to support and give our attention not only to the work of the gospel here but where god is at work elsewhere in our partnership so it's good that we pray for our gospel partners on a regular basis so what are the benefits? What are some of the benefits of cooperation? Well, notice in verse 10 what Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Here's one of the benefits of gospel partnership and cooperation. It requires us to have an attentiveness to others. It is so easy for us to focus only on our own work, our own needs, our own problems, our own concerns. But when we cooperate with others, it reminds us that God is about a work bigger than what's happening here at 887 Rose Hill Road. And when we are consciously attentive to our partnerships, it reminds us not just to think about ourselves, but to think about how we might be a blessing as we partner with others. Paul rejoices in the Philippians' concern, not just for themselves, but for him. And did you hear it 
back in 2 Corinthians 8. From our Scripture reading, 2 Corinthians 8. I want to point out one thing here. The Philippians were not rolling in the dough. Their attentiveness to Paul was not because they had lots left over to help him with. Instead, notice what Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. That would include the Philippian church. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. How did they give? They gave not out of their extreme abundance, but out of their extreme poverty Poverty in joy. They wanted to partner with Paul in this relief for a sister congregation elsewhere. And so they were attentive to the needs of others. Cooperation also helps us to establish relationships and deepen roots. At the heart of this letter is the relationship that this church had with the Apostle Paul. And he rejoices over and over in their partnership, in their relationship, in the deep roots that they had together. And you know what? In the times of affliction that they faced, they needed these deep roots and they needed the the support of the Apostle Paul in their cooperation in order to be encouraged in their steadfastness. And because they had been in partnership and because they remained in partnership, there was this relationship with deep roots that rooted them in faithfulness against the storms of affliction that they were facing. And friends, I would suggest that as time marches on, our need for strong relationships with fellow believers will only become more and more necessary. Not just our relationships with one another in this place. Yes, those. But also our holding hand in hand with others who are likewise striving to minister the Gospel, the saving message of the Lord Jesus Christ in a creation that is groaning as we read last week. Cooperation also provides doctrinal and missional clarification. Clarification about beliefs and clarification about our work together for Christ. Notice what Paul writes in verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the Gospel, that is, when they heard the message of the Gospel, when they came to faith in Christ, from the beginning of their shared belief, they were on mission in partnership with the Apostle Paul. Cooperation helps to provide doctrinal and missional clarification. There's much, much more that we could say about that topic. You want to talk about it more? Let's grab coffee perhaps this week. 
but also cooperating with others is a laying up of treasure. It's a laying up of treasure. Notice what Paul says in verse 17 as he reflects on their partnership. Not that I seek the gift. He's not longing for the the funds themselves. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. What does he mean? He seeks the fruit that increases to their credit. Does he mean that in their partnership, in the the gifts that they have provided to supply the Apostle Paul in his existence in prison to support him, that somehow there is some other fruit that abounds as they support him. No, what he's saying here is that their support, their financial cooperation with him is the fruit of their faithfulness. And this fruit increases to their credit. So as they cooperate, as their walk with Christ and their commitment to the gospel shows up in partnering with other like-minded gospel churches and the Apostle Paul, there is a laying up of treasure in heaven. This expression, this fruit of their faithfulness, increases to their credit. As one commentator puts it, the Philippians' giving to Paul is an expression of love. It's an expression of the gospel at work in their midst. For every time they do, it is also, every time they give, it is also evidence of fruitfulness. Fruitfulness that he has prayed for. And it shows as they partner, as they support, they are reflecting what we read elsewhere in Scripture. Matthew 6, 19-21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think as Paul writes about this fruit of cooperation increasing to their credit, he's reflecting this attitude, this thought of the Lord Jesus Christ, that their giving their support is a laying up of treasure in heaven. On your own, consider 1 Corinthians 3, 10-15 on this issue. Closely related, as we lay up treasures together, not here, but in heaven... Through our cooperation, our giving to support the work of others, notice what Paul says. This is a sacrifice. Verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Our supporting others in their ministry means that 
we're not supporting as much here that we could. It is a sacrifice. But, as we support in cooperation the work of others, it is a sacrifice that pleases the Lord. And if you've been with us on Wednesday nights, and so we've been walking through pursuing peace and the topics there, over the past few weeks we've spent considerable time attending to this issue of pleasing God. And I think this is a helpful description of what our lives should be about as believers. We should be striving to live our lives individually and collectively in a conscious way that pursues pleasing the Lord. Consider what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.9. So whether we are at home or away, that is out of this life and in the presence of Christ. That's what he's talking about in that context. Whether we are alive in this life or we are with Christ... We make it our aim to please Him. All of our life should be, should, should be devoted to striving to please the Lord. And Paul says here to the Philippian church that as they partnered with Him, their sacrifice was a sacrifice pleasing to the Lord. And so it would be with our sacrificial partnerships with other ministries. I believe, based on what Paul says here, that when we sacrifice to cooperate with others, it is pleasing to the Lord. But moreover, notice verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Again, Paul writes this not to a church that had a had an overflowing bank account somewhere. He writes this to a church that was in material need, but still they gave so that in their partnership, what were they doing? They were relying upon God to supply their needs. And Paul affirms that God will supply every need of theirs in Christ Jesus. Not necessarily the way they would like, not necessarily the way they thought it would come about, but God was reliable and He would supply their needs so that in our sacrificial partnership, one of the benefits that comes to us is it requires us and calls us to depend upon the Lord and not on ourselves. But lastly, what is a benefit of working with other churches, working with other ministries to advance the cause of the Gospel. Verse 20, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, when we partner with others, when we work together as a church, and when we work with other churches and other ministries, we're not making a name for ourselves. God receives the glory. God receives the glory for the relief that is provided by our disaster relief teams. God receives the glory as those who never even heard the name of Jesus come to know of a Savior from sin and turn and put their faith in Him. We don't get the credit. God gets the glory. And He gets the glory as 
fruit is born as a result of our working together. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote that well-known trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, the first book, the first volume. It's called The Fellowship of the Ring. And as you, maybe you've seen the movie, maybe you've read the book, maybe you've done both. But that first book really is about the collection of a group of individuals. Well, some of them are individuals. There's an elf, there's a dwarf, there are some hobbits. This group of creatures gather together to partner, to work together, to accomplish a mission that none of them could finish on their own. And as the story continues, that fellowship breaks up for various reasons. Each little sub-segment having its own mission. But the idea of partnership carries through all of the way to the, to the climactic end of the mission. Because Frodo, the ring bearer, would never have accomplished his mission had he been going it alone. And I think my, one of my favorite characters in the whole of the Lord of the Rings is Samwise Gamgee. Because with, I don't even know why I'm emotional about this. But without the faithful partnership of his beloved friend, the mission would have never reached its destination. Frodo would have failed. He admits it himself. And friends, we will not accomplish the mission that God has given to us as His people if we simply try to go it alone. We must be in partnership with others. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that has had cooperation woven into its existence since that first, I think it was a Sunday afternoon here in Reynoldsburg over on Palmer Road, September 7th, 1958. And we have been a cooperating church ever since. And by God's grace, we will continue to cooperate with others so that we will learn to depend upon the Lord so that we together will live lives pleasing to God and so that the fruit of our cooperation together and with others will be the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to You once again this morning, God, we thank You for the saving work of our triune God. Father, we thank You that You have sent Your one and only Son. We thank You that the Son has laid down His life to redeem us from sin. We thank You, Father, for the miraculous work of the Spirit 
applying what the Son has purchased in His death and resurrection. Father, we thank You for the redeeming work of Christ individually. And Father, if there's anyone here who does not know the saving work of Christ by faith, Father, I pray that even in what our considerations have been today, I pray, Father, that they have heard of a Savior from sin. I pray that even now that they would know that they can flee from their sin and come to know the redeeming love of Christ by faith. And Father, I pray for any of those who are, who are wondering about that, who, who have questions about what it is to trust and follow Christ, I pray, Father, that they would seek out me or someone else who can share with them how they can know your forgiving love in Christ. Well, Father, we thank you that your word helps us to see more clearly that one of your desires for your people is that we would be your people partnering together. Partnering together, yes, in local congregations as the body of Christ in each place. And I pray, Father, that our cooperative effort as a church here at Reynoldsburg Baptist Church would only strengthen and grow so that as we read in Ephesians 4, we might together grow into maturity as each part does its work. Father, we pray. We pray for our cooperative efforts with others. Father, we pray that these cooperative endeavors would be carried out in faithfulness. We pray that we would faithfully steward the partnerships that you have brought into our lives and the the partnerships that we are united with. Father, we pray that the fruit of not only our labors, but our working together with brothers and sisters across this city, across this state, this nation, and even around the world. We pray that the fruit would be Your glory revealed, especially in non-believers coming to know You through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.